Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappi. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Monday, April 11th, and welcome to Season 8 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adults with Cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because... The Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world, one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, the last of our pre-OMG summit shows, employment, legal, and insurance. Kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight, to my left, Adele Ramos, young adult survivor, osteosarcoma. She's a poet and a spoken word artist. Word. And Joanna Morales, Director of Disability Rights Legal Center of the Cancer Legal Resource Center. And Rebecca Nellis, Director of Programs at Cancer and Careers. Alrighty, folks, as a reminder, this broadcast, as always, is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. Alrighty, so hello, friends. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. I like that. Hello. Welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hands of tonight's stupid cancer show where remission is certainly not a cure and survivorship is really all that matters. That's right, Matthew. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network, on iTunes, and on Ustream as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in Tribeca. That is downtown Manhattan. You make us sound so much more important than we are. And hip. Yeah. All right. Our show has a live interactive chat feed. There's a bunch of people in it joining every moment. Feel free to join in, uh, join the fun, and connect with our guests, make friends, ask questions, um, get involved. It's a good show tonight. And uh, as always, I'd like to welcome our in-studio guest, the lovely and talented. And I think we're going to christen you the um, our new broadcast production associate. How's sure. that sound? Executive Vice President of making sure that Lisa and I do our job. Oh shit, Mr. James, <laughs> Mr. James Manning. Pressure, pressure. Real pressure. Hi, James. I have, I have a Senior Executive Vice President of not Nothing. making 
Lisa and Matt sound terrible. He can't have a title above Amanda, though. <laughs> right. Amanda's not here. Our well, Amanda was broadcast, broadcast production assistant, yeah. so you could be broadcast production associate. There you go. No, well, an that associate is above an Amanda assistant. First. Matthew, associate is above an assistant. But Amanda is like ex officio at this point. We we respect her tenure, but... Amanda we... just rocks any way you slice it, dude. Whatever. All right, She's fine. You are the... Not... I want to check with Amanda before we give my... Okay, I will give you... How about this? How about this? You are broadcast production assistant two. Well, that's a real... The sequel, James Strikes Back. (laughs) I'll take it. I like that. Don't make him mad. (laughs) That might get a little bit of complex. So we were discussing part of the show that we have no news to talk about, but then we decided we have some (laughs) news to talk about. And I wanted to uh, pull up this piece that I put on on my Facebook wall today. It talks about how... um, Where is this? The... um, Wait, that's not my wall. <laughs> Here's my wall. That um, the uh, House today voted to bar the Environmental Protection Agency from regulating industrial emissions. So isn't this that is their job. It is their job. Well, the GOP is in power so to regulate industrial toxins in our air and water and soil. So the government, the House, actually has now barred the EPA from its duly appointed right as an agency of the government to police toxins in our food, our water, and our soil, and our air. Thank you, government. The measure would also nullify a 2007 Supreme Court ruling that gave the agency the authority to issue regulations to curb those emissions, as says the New York Times. But I can't understand the rationale. I mean, I'm not a political person. and I, I don't understand. This, this clearly went right down the aisle in terms of party. I, I don't understand the argument. Could someone in the chat room, if you happen to be a Republican, please educate me. What is the argument against letting the EPA do its job? And if you don't have any answers for me, I await an enlightenment moment for something to come down from heaven and say, Here's why you should be Republican. Well, first of all, the Times also points out the bill stands little chance of becoming law because a similar measure voted on in the Senate on Wednesday came up 10 votes short of the 60 votes needed to avert a filibuster, blah, 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 blah. But let's go down to Representative Fred Upton, a Republican from Michigan. And he says, quote, our thoughtful bipartisan solution reigns in an EPA gone wild like girls gone wild. EPA gone wild whose bureaucrats are oblivious to the nation's economic woes and soaring unemployment, said Mr. Upton, who co-sponsored the bill with Representative Edward Whitfield, who's a Republican of Kentucky. No, but this was the New York Times. This is yeah. not like the Inquirer spinning some stories saying this, this, and this. I mean, if it was anything more sensational, it would sound it. The EPA has been barred from regulating industrial emissions. I mean, am I supposed to read any more than that? <laughs> is there anything... It's, it's, is, it's, 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 a rabbit hole. it's perplexing. Yes. And vexing. Yes. And hexing. It's Republican interest. That was very alliterative and rhyming at the same time. <laughs> Lisa, you're so talented. Well, we have we have a spoken word and poet in the house. It is so actual I, National Poetry Month, April. Oh, it is. Yeah. See? Look at that. See? <clears throat> oh, I have news. I fit right in. It is the end of National Young Adult Cancer <laughs> Awareness Moment. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a week. It was a week. We'll take a week. But I, I, it was more of a moment of reflection. But, you know, hey. It's a week, we're here, we did our thing, and uh, now we have the OMG Summit, which will sort of, in, indirectly a week later, pay tribute to it, sort of. Anyway. 
Yes. So now the big this is we, this is really the bigger week because we're leading up to the OMG summit. Yes. I am very heavily medicated. <laughs> which is which is saying something considering yes. how you are usually. Yeah, we also had a tech meltdown today, which is the second Monday in a row we've had the a Monday tech meltdown. meltdown. <laughs> this is not a good pattern. <laughs> Break the cycle. By that's the way, that's bad. Adele Ramos who's speaking. We haven't formally introduced her, have we? Yes. But she's so comfortable here, she's just jumping on in. No, it's good. It's I good. was told no, to. So we love that. No, it's fine. Following directions. And, and you may know Adele. We'll introduce you in a moment. You may know Adele from the uh, I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation documentary film. Yes. Called right. It's Not Okay. As the scars instead of tattoos poet extraordinaire who just said hello. That's right. <laughs> Please visit. Stupid, what is it? YouTube.com slash I'm too young for this. And that is our video channel. With a full story. Yes, with a full story. I'll reinform you later a little bit more. Okay. And Adele, for those not watching on Ustream, looks like America Ferrara, who was on Start an Ugly Betty, but of course is actually actually beautiful beautiful in real life. What is that? um, Resident Evil and and Avatar. Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez and and Lost. Yes. And Nora Jones, as she pointed out. Yeah. She's kind of a mix of all three. And hopefully my salary goes into that realm. <laughs> <laughs> too, in the future. Very nice. Oh, boy. So, anyway, is there really nothing else to talk about? Well, uh, we can mention again the, I guess, our friends over at the uh, Showtime series, The Big C. Oh, yeah, that's big news. I don't think they've gotten a lot of hits from us. I wanted to keep plugging this. Let's keep plugging. Do you have the sheet on it? I don't, but it's... Uh, I think it was on where, your desk. Where did that go, Matthew? Um, we're struggling wasn't to find the, the paperwork. Wasn't it the Big C Extras? I remember the email address. It was the Big C Extras. The Big C Extras at, at gmail.com. If you want a free walk and roll, walk on set roll for the Big C on Showtime with Laura Linney and directed by Darlene Hunt, email the Big C Extras at gmail.com. They're looking for cancer survivors to literally be on-site extras. They will pay for your transportation from the New York City metro area to Connecticut and back just to sit on set and act normal in a background setting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and right, you get paid. Did you just say that? Yeah, you get paid. Yeah, but you have (laughs) to send the uh, send your contact information (laughs) and a headshot, a photo of yourself and your contact information. Doesn't have to be a fancy headshot. We're not expecting everybody to be actors and have a professionally done headshot. Just send a photo of yourself and your contact info to the Big C Extras. Plural. Plural at gmail.com. And you'll go up to Stanford, Connecticut, and hopefully be in the background and get to see how a TV show is made and maybe get to meet Laura Lenny and Darlene Hunt, who's the creator of the show, who's been on our show, who's lovely. I was on a TV show once. I remember that. So was I. (laughs) Yeah, but that was your job. Yes. I also played myself, which is also also so you weird. So you were on that Lifetime show, right? I was on, but I got to tell you something. Like I'm a Hollywood like freak. I love Hollywood. I love the. I know it's all smoke and mirrors and fake and movies right. is magic and everything. Yeah. But I got to be on set on location for a shoot, and it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's very cool. It was, I mean, even if I was just watching it from the sidelines, let alone playing myself, which was awkward. It was just damn cool with all the lights and the cameras and the and the action. I guess it was just. Amazing. It's amazing to see how many people it takes to put something together. Everybody has, and it, and it takes all those people. Yes. Everybody has a specific role. Yep. And it's really fun to watch. So we're right up the road in Stanford, Connecticut. Here. Yeah. So it would be a great thing to do. Isn't your mom like a film expert? Doesn't she? My mother has a master's in film and did her thesis on film noir. Cool. 
Oh, neat. My mother is like a Ooh, Wikipedia. Your mom is, your mom is hip. My mom is a Wikipedia of every movie before 1992. Wow. Then she lost interest because everything became stupid after 1992, except Dumb for... Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> <laughs> i got to say like Inception, you yeah. know, maybe Shawshank. Shawshank. When was Forrest Wait. Gump? That was that like was 90, 10 years ago 91. Or something more? I don't okay, know. so it's in her realm. Yeah, not in her oh, realm. 20 years ago, yeah. good Lord. No, no. Uh, oh, ap- Chicago the Musical, that was good, too. Well, apropos of that, but of nothing else on this show, I started to watch, which I had never seen, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, speaking of films before 1992, because Elizabeth Taylor obviously yes. died recently. Wow, that's a great movie, directed by Mike Nichols, and Elizabeth Taylor's amazing. Yes. I I mean, I, I'd always heard, but I'd actually never caught up with that film. It's a good film. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Okay. To the black and white sh- to the black and white media. That's right. Exactly. Down with black and white. All right, I'm bored. Let's get to Adele. <laughs> Let's. Uh... I'm going to introduce Adele. All right. What time is it? What time is it? Adele Ramos was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. She'll tell us all about what that is at the tender age of six. After being treated for the disease, it returned, and she faced amputation from the knee down in her left leg. Twenty-five years later, she's still here as both an accomplished poet and spoken word artist, as well as an ambassador of long-term childhood. Cancer survivorship. She's right here, right next to me, on my left. Adele Ramos. Hello, Hello. Adele. Hi. How are you? I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to make sure I'm, you know, up in the mic. No, you're good. You're all up in the mic. All we're, right. we're on UStream, and I unfortunately can't really face Adele, so it looks kind of bizarre because my mic is kind of facing Matthew. And yeah, we're facing. So I'm, I'm talking it's to Adele. It's so much but more important. You look at me. I can't. I can't look at Adele while I speak to her. Um, we'll get some more. We'll, we'll, our next real budget. No, you kick can in. look. You can, you know, if you cheat like this, you can. I can see. I can look at the camera guy, and still, you know, just you cheat. We can do quick and then turn. Hello. Yeah. Yes. Very <laughs> nice. Okay, we're all right. We're good. Okay. We're on television. So, um, just a couple of little things. I'm, I'm actually an osteosarcoma uh, survivor, and I'm an above the knee amputee. I don't know. It said below the knee, but um, where did you get this information, Matthew? <laughs> I invented this information. <laughs> It's okay. Just She's not even really Hispanic. Yeah, no, I am. You're lucky um, we didn't say you were raised by wolves, which was what we say for most of our kids. On a cheese farm in Oslo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so I, but I was diagnosed when I was um, six years old. Uh, so that was a long time ago. So we got something but, um, right. Yeah, I'm going to get back up in here. Um, so we, you know, um, Matt and I have known each other for quite some time. You were like the original I2Y ever. I remember eating pancakes in a diner in Brooklyn discussing the, the evolution of I2I, and here we are, right? Well, I met yeah. you in, like, 2005 or 2006. I think it was 06, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This was before I launched I'm Too Young for this one. It, it was, was still the former. A, it was the former. Yeah, the, the iteration power. of nonprofit prior to <laughs> I2Y was called Steps for Living. Correct. Which gave birth to I2Y, but you were... You came over to my house and had we bundled crap on our yep. on our dining room table. And we're still bundling. Yes, we are still bundling. <laughs> never the ends. bundling never ends. That is true. So. But uh, yeah, you are a legacy patron. I'm glad creating a legacy for myself, and I too is creating a legacy. That's for sure. Yeah. How um, did you, so? How did you guys meet exactly? I don't even remember how we met. Um, I actually I was referred to the former. Steps for living. Yeah, steps for living through my at the time social worker. Okay. And I wrote him an email, and then we just realized that we were like seven blocks away from. Yeah, you lived on Senator Street in Bay Ridge. We that's were like right. seven blocks away. I was yeah. like, okay, let me walk down the street. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So I, I felt like that was kind of destined, you know. Like, what's the what's the chances? You were of that? my first Hispanic friend. 
Aww. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. You're a good time. Freak. <laughs> You're such a freak. Seriously. It's nice to have a I'm integrating friend. Matt. No, yes. I'm kidding. Was he your first big Jewy Jew Jew yes. friend? No, I, I actually have a lot of Jews in my life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you live in, live in Brooklyn. Yes. All right. So, but, so tell the folks some of your backstory here. So diagnosed at six. Yeah. Where so, did it all go from there? Um, so it went I, downhill. <laughs> downhill and then uphill. Um, so I was diagnosed in 1985, like you mentioned. I was six years old, um, osteosarcoma. I did one year of chemotherapy um, and surgery, and then I had a reoccurrence. Um, I actually had two reoccurrences total. Um, my time frame of treatment was five years total. And after the second reoccurrence, they realized that chemotherapy wasn't going to be the solution for me. Um, I ended up having to have amputation and more chemo. Um, and after that, I actually had another reoccurrence, and it, there was a brain tumor out of the osteosarcoma. So it was definitely wow. um, a long journey. Um, but, you know, I, I think I was lucky, because we're talking about insurance, that's one of the focuses today, and um, I was lucky that at the time my parent, my dad had a really great insurance carrier through his job, so um, I wasn't, I, we weren't really burdened like a lot of people are. Um, with the strain that, you know, medical bills can um, cause you. It wasn't until later that that really became more of a reality for me um, that I started to learn more about insurance and the challenges with insurance. Um, so it's Are like, you reading from a script? No. you take notes? I she literally has, have, like, little... She has notes. She's a very thoughtful, prepared I'm guest. In, I'm so impressed. It's very impressive. All the losers that come in here all the time with no idea what they're going to say. Yeah. Well, I, I and that's just the two of us. <laughs> and that's just you. Yeah, I was gonna say that's just, we're we're the first losers right there. I have like little bullets, but I really don't have those. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is great. We can just sit back and you know she's done her homework. But you were six, and then it came back. So the was the last surgery you had for the brain tumor? Had it spread to your brain? Right. So that was like the last surgery. That's a great but place I, to have cancer. I, yeah. yeah. And when and when was that? How long ago was you that? Know. Adele. Um, that was about. About 20 years ago. Okay. But, um, you know, the it was initially a one-year span between my initial diagnosis, then a recurrence, then the amputation, and probably another year between, a year, a year and a half between that and the brain tumor. So. Wow. But I really went into remission in 1990, around that point. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So um, but, I mean, I think that your, the, the argument that I can make that best sums up your story is the issue of how once you no longer are a pediatric patient, you're sort of cast to the wolves into a system that doesn't care about you. Not intentionally, perhaps, but just a system that never considered people like you or me, you were young too, James, would survive. They've made so much progress in childhood survivorship now that once you become 19, all that money they raised for that pediatric good stuff doesn't really apply to you can you talk to us about your experience aging out of pediatrics? Aging out, okay. Um, you well, can lie. I, honestly, <laughs> you know, for me, honestly, I didn't really have, like, this. I had great doctors, don't get me wrong. Like, I had great doctors. But as far as, like, a support network or something, um, it wasn't really that strong, you know, when you think of, like, social workers or advocates or, um, you know, things of that nature. There were a few people and because I am very outgoing and, you know, proactive, we were able to engage those people, but it wasn't a very strong network, which is why I always became 
I, which is why over the years I became more involved and I wanted to be a voice for people and I wanted to help out and that's how we ended up meeting each other essentially. Had you had you done any advocacy work prior to meeting me? I mean, what what other um, groups were you involved with? I did a little bit uh, through uh, Hackensack Medical Center. I did a little bit through them prior to that. Um, but other than that, it was kind of my own initiative, I, I, I guess. You know, I was looking for a platform. I was looking for some place where I could talk, um, and hopefully people would listen, and hopefully other survivors and current patients would be out there, and we would have a dialogue. So that was really the goal. Wow. Good stuff. Um what would be your your message to the world in terms of this? I mean, I think it's it's it goes without saying that you were you were sort of luckier than most to not have to deal with that like huge hump of transition from child to adult because you it was so many years in between you sort of got your your act together between that and then. But what would you say are the challenges as a young adult who have has survived cancer um, or as an amputee for that matter? Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, kind of tying, going back to, you know, the topic today, um, you know, insurance is, is always a constant challenge, um, for especially for amputees, um, you know, and I think a lot of people in something that we discussed, uh, and especially young people, are not super educated about the form of insurance, the forms of health policies, um, health policies and insurance and things like that, so... For me, I had to educate myself. I had to become, you know, we might call this, this show Stupid Cancer, but when it comes to, like, the long-term success of your life, you have to be smart. You have to be smart about insurance. You have to be smart about your approach, approach in life, um, you know, about your job. But isn't it easier to say when you've been through it? What, how, how do you educate the, the uneducated? Or, or do you have to have had a catastrophic illness to appreciate the need for not feeling invincible. No, I think I think there needs to be a total new mentality. The young people in in US, the US as a whole right need to be, you know, more educated. They need to be more proactive. They need to be more involved in policy making in health and insurance as a whole. Um that's something that we currently don't have. I think there is a small movement, a small push now. I mean, I've gone to DC and I've lobbied for, you know, a bill that I I'm interested in passing. Um, you know, I've had. What's that bill? The par- uh, the parity law, prosthetic parity law. What does that do? Um, basically, it, it's um, something similar to the mental health parity law, which um, goes back a number of years, but actually forced a um, a federal guideline that every insurance company would have to follow. So they would have to cover a certain percentage of mental health needs before there was a lot more leeway for insurance companies to decide what they would and would not cover. Right. So it's similar, it parallels that, um, and basically it would um, secure that they would have to cover 80% um, across the board, no matter what state you were in. For um, uh, This is, you're talking for prosthetics? For prosthetics, yeah. I is think. there anything in the new health care law that, that helps this move forward, or, or is there anything in there for that? Um not in regards to that. I mean, I know that um, ACA, which is the Amputee Coalition of America, um, they're continuing to work on this. Um, right. And they've re, you know, they've gone back into the House and to the Senate, uh, you know, over the past few years and re, reissued this bill. So I've done work with that. Um, so let's talk about this though, in terms of insurance, specifically for an amputee. I mean, because you have that, you know, there's the cancer, and then for those among the community who. Uh, go through an amputation. Mm-hmm. 
you said this bill now is to cover 80%. Right. What kinds of um, entanglements can young adults get into if they uh, become an amputee right. in terms of insurance? Um, I think uh, every insurance company has different parameters around prosthetics and orthotics. So, um, you know, that's really when you have to read into the nitty-gritty. They can have a lifetime, uh, like a lifetime amount. They can have... Uh, you mean a benefit cap where they say after we've spent right, $5 billion, we're done? Right. There's a limit. You can have a lifetime limit. You can have an annual limit. Um, and some of them will cover a certain percentage. It really depends on the company and the plan and, you know, maybe who the provider is. I mean, there's so many different levels. Um, so this would ensure, and there's parity per state as well, but it's not as strong as the federal parity that's trying to get passed. New York doesn't have it. Um, but there are a number of states that do. If you go to ACA um, website, they'll tell you what site has passed it um, locally. I mean, what state has passed it locally and what state has not. But they're still doing the. They're trying to do the federal push just so that it's across the board, um, so that people don't have to fight with their insurance companies, um, don't have to pursue legal actions, which I had to do in the past um, when a company doesn't want to pay the bill, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. I'd also like to talk about, too, tell us more about, I mean, you were, so when you became an amputee, you were, it was what age exactly again? Tell us. Uh, eight years old. You were eight years old. Correct. Okay. So how did you possibly begin to process all of this? Did you have a sort of emotional processing of the situation years afterward or at eight? What, what, how, did you kind of, how did you navigate? That's one thing to navigate cancer, obviously, right. then to go through and have the prosthesis and work through all of that at such a young age. Um, I mean, I think it's it's an ongoing process, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I like to say I, I function at a pretty active level, but, you know, I'm 31 now, uh, and I would say every day you're still learning things, you're still pushing yourself. But, um, you know, as far as how did you come to terms with it, I mean, you kind of have no choice. You kind of have no choice if uh, if you want to be active, and I think that, is kind of where my platform is. Like, I, I want people to be able to say, yes, I had cancer. Yes, I survived cancer. Yes, I'm an active person, living an active and, pro and productive life. Um, a lot of, you know, things that the government, quote-unquote, offers people, um, assistance, Medicaid, Medicare, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything pro or for, I mean pro or against, um, does not really encourage that level of pro production, that level of activeness. But um, how do you deal with it? I mean, it's really kind of like you have, you either you decide that you want to move forward or you don't, you know. Um, thankfully, technology has progressed. Um, people are, there's more options out there for better prosthetics. And, and that's what we're hoping. We're hoping that eventually there will be more laws to support that. Um, just to go back, I spoke a little bit about having to sue my insurance company. Um, so as I grew, I needed better prosthetics, and um, there were better prosthetics out there for me, and I wanted that advantage. You know, I am an urbanite. I like to be in the city. Um, there's a lot of walking involved, and um, a particular leg um, that came out was something that I, I was eligible for, I needed, and that my insurance company was supposed to cover at the time. When I submitted for the claim, um, they denied it, and um, wait, what, wait, on, wait. What, on what ground? Hang on. That gets one of these. <laughs> um, they, they, their grounds were that you, this is a common deny, uh, denial ground is experimental. 
So right, a right. lot of times you'll get Yeah, it. who needs a leg? <laughs> <laughs> and we gotta get to the news, but let's let's Go keep ahead. on that topic here. Let's uh, let's break this out. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, folks, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for young adults with cancer, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. How's that? If you have something coming up that you'd like to hear us, talk about and spread the word about during this part of the show email info at stupidcancer.com that's right head on over to events.stupidcancer.com your one-stop shopping calendar for all of our stupid cancer events nationwide and in canada stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we certainly don't want you missing out because we have stupid cancer events coming up in matthew we have one in new orleans on april 21st and los angeles on april 30th Los Angeles. Matthew's going to talk about the 4th Annual OMG Summit. Go for it, Matt. All righty, folks. Time is running out. Time is ticking down. We have five days left for the 4th Annual OMG Summit for Young Adults here in New York City on April 16th and 17th. We have slots still open. We're taking walk-ins on the day of, so feel free to show up at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning if you'd like and live in the city. Uh, sign up now. Don't miss your chance to attend the conference of the year for young adults affected yeah. by I'm going through puberty in a progressive fashion. <laughs> Visit omg2011.org today. All right. Don't forget about our Stupid Cancer Street Team, brought to you by the Stupid Cancer Army and our friends at Fancorp. This is truly social networking with a purpose. It's free. It's easy. You can win great prizes. Build our grassroots efforts and meet thousands upon thousands of authentic fans. Not posers, not any cancer posers, just authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. All righty, folks. The Stupid Cancer Forums just passed 500 members. And it's slowly becoming, or I should say rapidly becoming, the online support community to join if you are a young adult affected by cancer in any fashion. You got a parent who's sick, there's a discussion group for that. You got a pediatric child who's sick, there's a discussion group for that. Is your spouse, partner, sibling, or best friend sick? You guessed it. There was a discussion group for you as a young adult affected by cancer. Head on over to stupidcancerforums.com and sign up today. Every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out, YA Connect. It's at lls.org slash YA Connect. All right, and finally, as always, we'd like to remind you about our good friends at Johnny Immerman, Immerman Angels, the one-on-one peer support, peer matching website, immermanangels.org. And check out our friends at First Descent, the premier outdoor adventure organization for young adults with cancer, online at firstdescent.com. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All righty. We have our guests lined up. It is time to make... Don't forget that we're going to save some time for some uh, little poetry. Oh, yeah, we'll bring her back. We'll bring her back. She's 
not going to. You know she's going to chime in. Of course she's going to chime in. You can't keep Adele down. And why would you want to? No one wants to. All right, you're up. I'm up with Rebecca. Yes. Good God, Matthew. Her bio's pages and pages and pages just long, read the but first that's very exciting. No, just she, read has the first lot, she has a lot of great credentials. No, she only deserves the first sentence. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to Rebecca Nellis is Director of Programs for Cancer and Careers, and she spent the last seven years developing programs to meet the ever-growing needs of employees who are working through cancer treatment and those who support them. Among the initiatives that Rebecca has launched are the Cancer and Careers Online Coaching Center, the nationally held Balancing Cancer and Careers Community Seminars, the accredited educational series for healthcare professionals and Cancer and Careers Spanish language resources, which now includes six publications and a dedicated website. All right, that's enough. Sorry, Rebecca. You can I, tell I, us more you when know, you get I asked for a 30-second bio, and she gives me logoria. I love you, Rebecca. All right, Joanna Morales is the director of the Cancer Legal Resource Center, a joint program. Resource. I am going through puberty. A joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School. Ms. Morales is also an adjunct professor of law at Loyola Law School, teaching a seminar on cancer rights law. She also spent eight years working at the John Wayne Cancer Institute for its psychosocial care program and for positive appearance center. She recently served as the president of Komen, the Los Angeles County affiliate, and was awarded the Komen for the Cure Public Policy Advocate of the Year in 2009, Joanna Morales and Rebecca Nellis. Rebecca Nellis, welcome. You guys won so, awards for the longest bios in history. Well, the Matthew, very, Zachary, I told you to say exactly what you wanted and no more when I sent that to you. No, but you don't understand. I don't listen to people. I, I don't listen to people. <laughs> I tell you to give me something, and then I'm a mannequin and a robot, and I read it. So this is all your fault and only your fault. Oh, I'm looking forward to next year's when I come up with something really spectacularly entertaining then, knowing that you won't be vetting it beforehand. Well, no, if you don't send me anything, I make it up. And like we said, we say you're raised by wolves on a cheese farm in Oslo. Never give Matt free license. No. We, we need to identify who is who. So, um, and this this is Rebecca speaking, correct? That was Rebecca, yes. Yes. Just so, the, just so everybody's clear. Rebecca <laughs> likes me less, so you can tell in her tone. <laughs> Joanna loves me, but Rebecca likes me less. Here's the thing. They're both, they're both very accomplished women, so we could go on and on and on with their introductions. Yes. But we'll uh, we'll let them toot their own horns as, as okay. they um, come on here. All right. So tonight's show is about legal insurance and employment, three things that all go together but are individually as complicated as hell. That's for so sure. I don't know which one of you wants to start first. Perhaps we'll go with Rebecca because she likes me less than I'm trying to impress her. So why don't we start with what is cancer in careers and how does it play into this convoluted game of ridiculousness? <laughs> wow, that's a big question. Um, I think I'll, I'll be as brief as possible so we can we can get to the good stuff. Um, cancer and Careers is a national organization. We're turning 10 this year, so it's a big deal for us. Uh, we are the only organization whose sole focus are the issues surrounding employment and cancer. Um, and we serve patients and healthcare professionals and coworkers and those who love them through events and publications and a comprehensive website, career coaching, all that kind of good stuff. We consider ourselves YA relevant. We are not only for young adults with cancer, but so much of our content is so important to this population for so many reasons that differ from the rest of the population that we serve. So we take that very seriously, and we love collaborating with you, Matthew, even if I don't personally like you very much. No, and I, I really <laughs> have always admired, if anything else, your candor. I appreciate that. <laughs> 
Like, I don't like anything about you either, but your candor just keeps winning me over. Rebecca, are you still going to show up to the OMG Summit, I wonder? <laughs> I, you know, Joanna can take it. She doesn't She doesn't need me. You know, she's Rebecca, not even in New York anymore. Rebecca moved down to D.C. I know. Because she's, she's, she's getting a lofty... Um, She's going to Georgetown, and she's getting a Master's of uh, Public Policy. We had to cut, cut that out of her bio because there's too many accomplishments. Yes. But that was in there as well, that you're getting a Master's in Public Policy. Is that right? That is correct. But yeah, no but one really beats Laura because she's an Esquire. Woohoo. Yeah. That's fancy. That's fancy. Laura, how you doing? And by Laura, you mean jo- Joanna, right? You mean yes. Joanna, Matt. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm looking at the OMG poster from last year, which is sitting on the wall over there, and I'm staring That's at the three of your faces. Laura Mosiello was on the panel with uh, Rebecca and Joanna last year. Right. I just want to point out that Joanna probably likes you less now yeah. than I do. <laughs> that, I, I would, I would agree, I would agree no, with that, Rebecca. Laura, calling you Laura is a compliment. So no, 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 nice if, I, try. if I called you Rebecca by if accident, you then so. you could be insulted. Calling a guest by the wrong name, mm, compliment now. Hey, All right, let's let go and ask It was not in an intimate setting, so there, it's okay. Okay. That's more intimate than our show. All right, let's let what? Joanna speak. Um, because the Cancer Legal Resource Center, I know, often works also in tandem with cancer. Did I mention I had brain cancer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just the least of your problems, actually. I can't play the cancer card on this show anymore, can no. I? No. All right. No. no. All right. Joanna Laura Mosiello the- Rodriguez <laughs> Morales, you're up. The Cancer Legal Resource Center is also a national program, and we're a nonprofit organization that provides free information and resources on any type of cancer-related legal issue um, to anyone coping with cancer. And the way that we do that is through a national education and outreach program where we travel around the country providing educational seminars and conferences and attending other events. And then we also have a national telephone assistance line, which is 866-THE-CLRC, which people can call and get answers to their personal questions at any time. Okay. So All right. Well, thanks. For, have a great time. <laughs> thanks for uh, calling in tonight. Right. <laughs> that's that's Matthew's being humorous. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> All right, cool. Good night, everybody. I guess we go home now. Prepared. <laughs> so, Joanna, let's let's speak about let's uh, let's stay with you for a minute and and let's name, you know, the three top issues that you deal with most frequently. I think the three issues that come up most often for someone who's been diagnosed with cancer really do fall into three categories. It's health insurance questions, whether it be getting and keeping health insurance or navigating through the insurance that someone already has, and then employment questions, and those fall into two categories of employment discrimination and then taking time off work, and then disability insurance. So that if someone does need to take time off work, how can they keep income coming in so they can still pay their bills and pay for their health insurance and pay for their care? I have a question for you, Joanna Morales. I'll decide whether or not I want to answer it. (laughs) That's okay. It's an option anyway. (laughs) If you are the only resource in the country, and I can ask the same question of Rebecca, if you are truly the only resource in the country and you are the only person working there doing this, how are you not underneath a a pile of rocks every day dealing with people? So little do you know that I am under a pile of rocks. Okay. Well, all right. How, um, are, you, how are you surviving living under a pile of rocks every day? <laughs> so I, I would say that um, we, we really work 
hard at trying to work with our partners in the cancer community and with healthcare professionals so that we're training all of them to identify cancer-related legal issues and what the resources are for people to deal with them so that we're sort of exponentially increasing the reach of our organization. And I am not the only person who works here. I have a fabulous staff of nine others who work here in Los Angeles and Chicago and Fresno, California. So I you could have a I, title of director and not be the only person. I in fact am. I I stand impressed. And are your are your services um free for folks? I know you're a nonprofit, but how does that work when somebody approaches you for for help today? Is there a fee or you're you're independently funded? Is it free? How does that work? We're entirely free, so the educational seminars that we provide, the conferences that we host, and the telephone assistance line are all free. And the way that we're able to do that is through grants and donations um, and partnership with other organizations. Right. And same for cancer and careers, Rebecca. Explain how that works. Yes. Um, Joanna sort of did a really eloquent job, and I could steal most of her language, but I wasn't <laughs> writing it down. So the short answer is we are free, all of our teleconferences, patient and healthcare professionals. We are doing a national conference in June. All of that is free. We ship our publications free of charge, including the shipping costs. We take care of those, and we are also funded by sponsorships and grants and individual donations and partnerships and things like that. Um, And that's a really core part of our mission is that it's our job to find the resources to support this information that needs to get so desperately into the hands of the people who need it when they need it. Uh, let me ask a, a, an umbrella question for the both of you, and this sort of ties into the larger issue. The the uh, the services you provide to the cancer community have nothing to do with research and cure. They're about lifestyle, survivorship, quality, equity, fairness, uh, getting your, 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 your shit together and trying to live as productive and healthy quality of life once you're either living with or beyond your treatments, how do you deal with the, the um, I guess, the philosophical wall that I tend to hit a lot when I'm discussing what it is that we do when it isn't about cure and research? Well, I would just say that there's 12 million cancer survivors who need access to this information right now, and that being a legal organization, you know, it is a niche area in terms of the cancer community. And so, you know, there are lots of great organizations doing research to find a cure um, or even research for treatment, but that's not what we do. And we fill a gap that doesn't get filled by anyone else. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of trotting out statistics. The CDC just said that one out of 20 Americans is a cancer survivor. I like to throw that out there into the world. When people ask, I also think that it's a twofold process. As people live longer and research develops treatments that make it possible to live longer, and that doesn't necessarily mean cures, these issues continue for much longer than they did when those treatment options didn't exist. So it's critical to find a way to support and enable all of those people who are going to go on to live wonderful, interesting lives to do so with the tools they need. Right. I understand all that. I think we're living inside that apple core, so it's easy for us to understand that mechanically. I mean, I'll just share what I come up with, and maybe you've gone through the same situations and circumstances. People ask, what are you doing? I was like, we help young adults get their lives back and understand how to navigate their lives afterwards and connect them with great resources. Oh, so you fund research? No, we don't fund research. Oh, then what do you do? 
I, I find that there's like this this loophole or this this I'm sorry, what's uh Black this hole. this yeah, this this vortex of death and destruction of, of ignorance that the general public has towards the notion that once you're cured, aren't you done? I don't understand why you need all these these uh these services and issues. So it's interesting that you say that because I think that we talk to patients a lot who experience that on a one-on-one basis when they go back to work. People, in, in and this happens in incredibly supportive work environments, everyone's on your team if you've decided to disclose your diagnosis and they go through it and they're, they're accommodating and you, you have a game plan and they know what it is and everybody's on board and the second you hit that marker in the game plan, the environment around you expects you to be quote-unquote normal again, and that's not necessarily the case. So I certainly know what you're talking about from a patient perspective in their experience in their workplaces. My experience from the sort of larger world and the world that funds us is that people, work issues really resonate with people because we're a country that self-identifies as hard workers and who are defined by the kinds of jobs they do. And so when people hear the words cancer patients and survivors have trouble on the job or going back to work or finding a job in direct relationship to their cancer, that resonates. People, people know people who've had cancer and people work, and those two things together seem like something that matters and should be funded and should be, services should exist for it. So I guess I'm not saying we never have any trouble ever. I'm not at all trying to be Pollyanna in that way, but I don't find myself explaining why we don't do research that often. Um, I do find myself trying to help patients prepare their workplaces for what it's really going to be like when they come back to the office. That was the right answer. Congratulations. You can go home now. Ooh, I actually am home. Oh, (laughs) then you can stay where you are. (laughs) And, again, going back to the – I assume the the argument is similar for legal. Survivors, as they go through this, you know, often need assistance, battling insurance companies. Are, are, are insurance companies really the number one um, group that you interface with, uh, Joanna? Um, we do. No, I would say no. We don't interface a lot with insurance companies directly. We interface more with employers directly because we get calls from employers the same way that we get calls from employees who want information about what their responsibilities are under the law and to make sure that they're doing things correctly. Um so with respect to insurance companies, we're, we're really not interacting with them directly. We're typically interacting with the regulatory agencies that oversee insurance companies in each state to make sure that insurance companies are following the law. And what are the most common questions, again, coming from the uh, employer, who, as you, just, as you just mentioned, that you'll get calls from the employers to say, what are my responsibilities under the law when they're dealing with um, workers going through cancer? I think two two primary areas. One is, you know, what do I have to do for my employee who is coming back to work or is continuing to work through treatment with regard to reasonable accommodations? So under the Americans with Disabilities Act or a state firm employment law, how do I accommodate this particular person um, or employees generally? And so the answer is always going to be different because reasonable accommodations are about a particular employee in their work environment with their job responsibilities. And then a lot of employers don't know what they're required to provide in terms of medical leave, if the Family Medical Leave Act applies to them, um, are they in a state where there's state disability insurance that they need to be telling their employees about? 
So they want, you know, employers who call us really want to make sure that they're following the law and doing the right thing. So, I mean, given the fact that it is so grotesquely individualized, is there a standard that you guys use as a baseline for much of your curriculum or the way you speak with other people? Are there generalizations that you can work from? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we we don't give legal advice, and we don't represent people directly. So we provide information about what the laws require, and then there are always situations where the employer is either, you know, is providing much more than what the law requires. The law just requires a bare minimum. But we see lots of employers who, you know, allow people to stay on payroll past, you know, the 12 weeks of FMLA time or continue to pay for people's health insurance or other insurance and other employee benefits. So it's really, um, we talk about what the bare minimum is under the law um, and just educate people about what their rights are and what their options are and really give sort of the concrete information that people can figure out what their next steps are. So, but Matthew, I mean, there is a lot of it depends right. that happens as well. I'm stealing Joanna's line right now because I've made it my own. Um, and I think that that is one of the great challenges is we work really hard to listen carefully to the people who come to Cancer and Careers or come to a program or use our services to try to aggregate things that become themes. But there are certainly pieces of this that are one person needing to tell you their entire work situation, which almost always means that I say something along the lines of, after we get off the phone, you need to call the Cancer Legal Resource Center. Um, but, but that's okay. I've learned over the years that because there is no perfect answer, it's actually much better to say, I'm sorry that there is no perfect answer. Here are some things that other people have done. Here are the things we recommend. Here are some additional resources. And generally speaking, our experience is that although it's not a magic bullet that solves the problem, people are really grateful to continue to unravel this very complicated situation and with more information and knowing that other people have actually gone through it themselves. So we actually really do take a lot of information from the people who've come to the program and make publications surrounding specific issues and write articles surrounding specific issues to try to pull the generalized stuff out. A huge area of generalized content is around the job search process. The sa we get asked the same questions about that every day. And I want to turn this over to our two in-studio <laughs> young adult survivors who are both long-term childhood survivors like me. Did either of you experience any issues with employment or navigating insurance, or were you just, you know, as, as long-term childhood survivors, James? No, I was out of treatment for many years when I started um, taking jobs at the age of 16, so that was not an issue. But I did want to ask, when you advise people about taking jobs, do you advise them to take uh, jobs with employers that can offer FLMA since it's only for employers of a certain size? I think that um, anyone who's looking at a job wants to try to search out information about what that workplace environment is like. And I would also strongly recommend that people really look at what the employee benefits contain. So not just looking at health insurance or vision or dental, but looking, do they offer short-term disability insurance or, long, or life insurance? Do they... Um, fall under the Family and Medical Leave Act, or do they fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act, or do they not fall under those? 
um, and really weigh your options in terms of how those employee benefits are going to affect your day-to-day life. And also, what do they do, as Joanna mentioned before, because so many employers do, beyond all those things that, that are in kind of your offer letter or the employee handbook, things like sick leave banks, where other employees donate unused vacation time so that someone who really needs it can use it and not have to go out on unpaid leave. I mean, so there are, there are a lot of things that are happening in the workforce in general that can be very beneficial to someone who's trying to deal with this now. But to be honest with you, very few people call us to ask us whether we think they should take a job. Most people are calling us to find out how they could even begin to go about finding one and what do they do if someone asks about the gap on their resume and what do they say about their cancer and do they have to say anything at all. It's, it's more that way. I wish more people called me up and said, this is what I'm being offered. What do you think about the job? Yeah, yeah. So, Rebecca, in regard to that, I'm sorry, in regard to that oh. recommendation that you had said about, you know, long-term um, medical leave and all that, is that something that you tell them to speak at during the interview process? Because usually you don't get an employee handbook until after you've accepted the position. And most people don't even ask about health benefits until, like, they might ask, do you have health benefits? And they say yes. I mean, that's, those are gen- the general questions that average people ask. So, I mean, is that advised once you're on the interview to speak to that potential employer and say, do you have a copy of the handbook and... You know, what are your, I mean, is that what you advise these individuals? You'd have to be really careful, and mm-hmm. each person and what they're trying to find out is different. If someone doesn't ever want to disclose this about themselves, then the last thing we would suggest they do is ask about a sick leave bank in an interview process. Okay, but I mean, yeah. but what about just asking about for an employee handbook? I mean, that's general. Most employers aren't going to give up an employee handbook in an interview. Okay. So if you kind of have to feel out the interview situation and if you're if you're being asked back for a second interview, then a second interview is definitely an appropriate time to ask about employee benefits, and you can ask about it in a more general way. Um, you know, what other types of insurance do you provide other than health insurance? Um, you know, you would know the size of the employer by doing a little bit of research, so you could tell which laws applied to that particular employer. Um, but you know, you can be more vague, but generally employers aren't going to hand over an employee handbook until someone's first day of work. Yeah. Rebecca, let's go back to what you just touched upon, and I know you've talked about this before on the show, and I'm sure it'll come up at the summit as well, but to that point of what do you tell somebody when you're interviewing for a job and you've got that gap in your resume, how do you explain to them uh, what happened if you don't want to disclose it, if you do want to disclose it, how do you navigate, how do you advise navigating folks through that? I mean, because how long can you be on a vacation at Turks and Caicos? <laughs> <laughs> Not long enough, as if you ask right. me. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a really, really hard one, and because it touches on everyone's most core <laughs> issues, which are no one wants to lie, because it's very, very hard to lie, and no one would recommend lying. Right. Um, but no one wants to tell their whole life story and feel like that's going to take them out of the running. So how do you find that middle ground? I'm going to let Joanna talk about the law in a second, but just from the very practical side, um, it's not going to be as primary to the person interviewing someone that it could have been a health issue as it is to the person being interviewed. So the first thing I always say is it's your greatest focus in the room, but it's not anybody else's. That's a great point. So it's really important to try to spend time in advance of that interview putting that in a much lower level place in your head than it mostly lives, which I understand is incredibly difficult to do. But it's key in terms of being able to manage those questions. 
in advance of the interview, you're going to have crafted your resume, and I won't go into details now, but you can go to cancerandcareers.org and look at templated resumes and reach out to our career coaches about your own specific resume questions. But your resume is a key place where you start to design your answer to that question. Have you been volunteering? Have you done any consulting? Have you worked over the course of two calendar years so you drop the months, which is actually standard anyway, so it doesn't look like as big of a gap? Were you in an industry that saw a lot of layoffs in our economic downturn, so maybe nobody's even going to consider that it was a health issue? All of these things are going to be things you're thinking about as you're building your resume and then also going into the interview. The best piece of advice I have, even though it's the one that's the most awkward, is to practice answering that question in front of somebody else. Make somebody sit across from you and say, I notice a gap in your resume. Can you tell me what you were doing with that time? And come up with the very succinct, very direct, most comfortable answer to that question that ends with a forward-looking comment about what you can do for that company in that job and why you want it. And I imagine you have people who have some fears about, well, are they going to question me, you know, what if it comes back? Does this mean that you'll be missing time from work? Sort of going, I mean, obviously that's not something that people with cancer want to think about. They want to think about, you know, I'm moving ahead and it won't come back. Um, Absolutely. I mean, for the most part, we don't suggest saying, unless you feel really empowered about it, I had cancer, but I'm fine now. Um, We suggest things like I was dealing with a health issue or a personal issue or a family issue. It's resolved forward movement. And Joanna should actually speak now to the legal piece of disclosure in the interview process. Even though it doesn't mean people won't ask more questions, there is there is a legal component to this. So Rebecca is very subtly getting at the fact that the Americans with Disabilities Act and most <laughs> state, state fair employment laws protect your right or right not to disclose your medical information. So you never have to disclose to an employer anything about your medical condition except if you're asking for a reasonable accommodation under the ADA or a state fair employment law, or if you're asking for some type of medical leave, because in both of those circumstances, you have to be able to show why you're entitled to those things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to disclose a diagnosis. It could mean that your doctor writes a letter saying that you have a medical condition that prevents you from doing your job in a certain way. So it is important to know that you don't have to disclose. That said, we see all the time people who have been asked those questions have, you know, had applications that actually said, have you ever had cancer before? And that couldn't be any more legal under the law, but it still happens. And so really thinking about what your answers are going to be, like what Rebecca mentioned, is extremely important because if you just say, I'm sorry, but you can't answer that, I can't, you can't ask me that under the ADA, probably isn't going to get you the job. Right. I have a question for both of you. I mean, obviously, Rebecca, you're coming up on uh, it's it's ten years now for cancer careers. Uh, Joanna, how long have you guys been around? Uh, Fourteen years. What has changed in the past decade that has affected the way that you you grow your business or build your content? Has there been anything specific in the last couple of years that have really changed the dialogue or changed the relationship you have with the people you assist? Rebecca, you want to take that one first? Okay. Um, I guess the first thing that came to my mind was about three three to four years ago, we started to put a very, very heavy emphasis on building our relationships with other cancer organizations in the cancer community. 
um, something I think is hard to do when you're still trying to establish your credible content and sort of what your focus is going to be and, and how you're going to kind of provide your services. And by doing that, not only has it cracked the door wide open to more patients and, and more avenues of information that people need about the topic that we do, but it has also developed the concept. You know, we also do a healthcare professional program, as does Joanna, that's accredited, and they're really a critical piece of our audience. And, and it took us a few years to work that out. So I think for us, relationship building is really important because we are never going to be the cancer organization at the top of everyone's mind on a day-to-day -day basis. We're the cancer organization you need when you need them specifically and you wish that you didn't, as you wish you didn't need any of them. You know, people aren't looking for the resource that's dealing with work issues until they have a work issue. So right. for us, making relationships in the larger cancer community and finding really credible, strong partnerships where we can make sure that we're complementing content has been, the, I think, the biggest shift for us. And I, think, and I think the community has been very welcoming and is growing in its own way, and we fit nicely into that. Okay, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. I wanted to discuss social media as a liability. I remember an anecdotal story recently of a cancer survivor. I'm going to get this slightly mixed up, but you'll get the gist of what I'm saying. She was not doing very well um, in her treatments. She had to take off some time from work. So she went on a vacation with her family and put up a picture of herself on a beach on Facebook and then the employer said, you're not sick, you're on a beach. Where is the uh, the gray area defined as far as your liability uh, using social media and its impact on an employee's uh, sort of employer's visibility of that? I'll start with Rebecca first. Well, when you use the word liability, I prefer to bounce things over to Joanna, but I will say one thing. <laughs> it's really important to think about your personal brand and be aware that this amazing connectivity that we all have now is also means that everyone else has it. And to think about what you do and say with that in mind and to set privacy settings in a way that allow you to be who you want to be online, um, it's easier to do on a place like Facebook than it is in a place like Twitter, you know, I mean, which is all about output, not sort of necessarily quiet relationship building. Um, and that's true even from a job search perspective. Employers lurk on Facebook to see what they can learn about you before they offer you a job. So you don't want to have, you know, the crazy picture of you upside down over a keg if you're trying to get a job. And you have to think about this now in the world that we live in. I'm sure also Joanna might have some legal thoughts on that. I would just I, I would echo what Rebecca said and say that if you don't want people to know something, don't put it out on social media. So if you've chosen not to disclose your cancer diagnosis in the workplace, then be careful what you put on your social media page. And it could be something as innocuous as, you know, volunteering for a cancer organization um, and putting up their website on your page or, you know, talking about that. Because if, you know, employers can put two and two together, and, and employers are looking. Um, there have been actually a number of cases that have come out, a number of stories where employers have used that information in making employment decisions. So I would just say be really conscious of what you put out in the public. Is, I mean, is that fair? Are they, uh, is there any, um, 
I don't know. Is there any ethical barrier or? I guess you're saying, could it actually be used in a, in a in a in a law case? I mean, Absolutely. when you say the word liability, yes, yeah. if, if you if right. you put it out there publicly, you right. have lost all right to confidentiality. Right. right. So I mean, again, going back to this anecdotal story. Well, uh, wait, let me rephrase that. You're, you okay. haven't lost all right to confidentiality. You've lost the right to confidentiality for whatever you put on Facebook. Right. 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 Because right. again, th- this young adult was in treatment and had to, had to take time off from her work for the uh, Family Medical Leave Act and took a vacation with her family to feel better about herself. And this is a real story. She. This was not like her trying to cheat the system or anything. She was going through some really tough chemo and had to take a break. And, again, she might have been stupid putting these pictures on Facebook, but the impression, like you said, was this false impression that she was doing fine. The employer saw these pictures and assumed that she was sort of making, um, sort of lying about how sick she really was. And I don't know if they fire her or not, but is that grounds? Do they then have that right as an employer to make that judgment there? The employers have the right to use that sort of public information to, to make fair employment decisions. Uh, however, I mean, that, those facts are kind of murky because if she was legitimately on Family and Medical Leave Act and was undergoing treatment and happened to be getting treatment, you know, out of state and put up a picture, I mean, it's really fact-specific at that point. Right. Um, so Rebecca will ask, but I'm going to say it depends. Um <laughs> And I think that's probably part of why Joanna and I ran with your social media question, but in the opposite way, which was sort of in the forward thinking about it when it comes to looking for work or how you blog and what you say if you are employed but you haven't decided to, to tell. Because those are sort of when you asked if there were more sort of top-line things that we can share you know, over and over and over again that we know to be true versus very case-specific. It's top line true that if you aren't telling your place of employment that you've been diagnosed with cancer but you're blogging about it, that 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 could be a conflict for you. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, you talk about going forward, uh, but but it is just amazing. I mean, I have people who say to me, you know, a friend of mine who's a, an editor at a magazine who says, you know, my, my, my employees are, you know, they, they write on their Facebook wall, I'm so bored at work, I have to go out now and get my Starbucks at 4 o'clock, forgetting that I'm Facebook friends with them. <laughs> know watching my staff walk out but it's just because this stuff is so prevalent now um it's just amazing you know how forgetful people are in terms of just you know throwing this stuff up there no, my favorite are the people that have the linkedin profile that makes them look like they're the greatest ceo in the world and they're like drunk kegging on a park bench vomiting on facebook <laughs> like, you, you can't have that dichotomy in your life but it sounds like the good news is at least that there's, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there's at least as many or perhaps even more employers that are maybe going the other way um, in terms of what you were saying earlier, Joanna, extending uh, payments maybe longer than they're legally or obligated to rather than the nightmarish cases of folks getting fired or losing their jobs because they're undergoing treatment. Is that right? I think it's hard because I feel like I'm, I, I hear some great stories, and then you generally hear the bad ones, right? Yeah. Because that's why people need that's something. That's why they need you, right. Uh, but yeah. I will say that we hear a lot of great stories about employers, big and small. Um, and the problem that we face is that a lot of those stories aren't institutionalized behaviors in those companies. They're great supervisors making autonomous decisions. 
And our dream in life is that those moments will be less frequent and instead institutions, companies as a whole, organizations will have that viewpoint around supporting an employee with cancer. Right. I, I think there's an additional factor, too, is that even though, you know, we do find people ha have really great employers in some situations, that we're in a pretty tough economic environment. So where employers may have been willing to keep people on payroll in good economic times or to continue to pay someone's health insurance coverage beyond what they're required to do under the law, that might we're, we're seeing less and less of that because of the economy because it's just not financially possible for the employer. Right. Well, we have uh, just a few minutes left to wrap up. I have one more quick question for both of you. Have well, Actually, it's a two-part question. The first one's a bit of a joke, but it's tongue-in-cheek. Do you often come across the same people that come to you and then the other person, and then you wind up talking about them? No, we never talk about anyone. It's confidential. <laughs> uh, lie to me. <laughs> no. There's no attorney-client privilege on the Stupid Cancer Show. <laughs> Now, we do talk about people's situations that, you know, generally where people have a situation where they get fired or they're having trouble in a job interview. So Rebecca and I will definitely talk a lot about that because we do present a lot together. Right. Um, and we talk about the practical and the legal aspects and how they're so intertwined. So we talk about scenarios, but we don't talk about people in particular. No, and well, we I'm have referred people to each other, certainly, right. and been in the same room with human beings who then came up to talk to both of us about something. Yeah, I'm sure if you, like, cross-referenced your, uh, your databases, you'd see a lot of overlap. We talk about you, Matthew. Well, yes, I'm, we do. I'm just, oh, I'm just damn special, that's why. <laughs> no, my, my last question to you is, have you ever encountered a situation where social media has helped make the case for an employee? I don't think I've ever come across that, but I think that's merely because most of the time people who are calling us are calling us about a problem that they're having. Right. So I can't say that. Maybe Rebecca? No, I, I, I was sort of racking my brain. I think that the way in which social media has been so important has been about what it does for the survivor and their choices around how they engage in it and use it. Um, but I can't say that on a sort of more employer-employee perspective that it has been that it's been a that it's been used for good and not evil. Um, we don't actually get a whole lot of social media related questions. We do now. Um, I try to anyway infuse conversations with the personal brand on social media dialogue because it is now so so prevalent and so true that employers are looking. And I think it's an important thing to remind people, particularly the young adult community, who sort of doesn't those members of the young adult community who don't remember life before social media. Um, it's important to, to note that it is something that people look at. I suppose it could be and used in their favor, Matthew, if, if, if um, an employer went on and saw that they had liked uh, the stupid cancer show or I'm too young for this, <laughs> and if it looked like they were out frolicking at the beach and they could say, see, I really am connected to a cancer organization. No, I just want the, the <laughs> boss who says, you know, we're, we're letting you go because you're not doing your job well, and then, like, they post a YouTube video of them in chemo, and to suck it, bitch, to their boss. <laughs> That's what I want to have happen right now. I, I apologize that I can't deliver for you on the level that you were hoping for. You have failed me for the last time. Does that mean you don't want to see me this weekend? No, I I, I can't not. There's like this strange. He'll collapse like, and he'll have a meltdown if you don't like show up. It's like a negative up. attraction. Yeah. Like we have to, we just have to come together. <laughs> 
to, to prevent the universe from annihilating itself. Oh, well, as long as I have such a vested role in not letting the universe annihilate itself, I guess I'll be there. No, it's all about Occam's razor. That's all it's about. Anyone get that reference? Anyone at all? No. Nope. Google it. No. Occam's razor. Spell it. I can't spell it. Just Google it. I think it's O-C-H-A-M. But anyway... I want to thank you guys for being on the show tonight. You are uh, giving you, our, our listeners a major preview as to what is in store for them on uh, Sunday for your uh, your session on employment, legal, and insurance as part of the fourth annual OMG Summit. Have yourselves a great week. Safe travels to New York City. And I will see you we'll Friday see you night. Soon. Yes. See you soon. Thank you. All righty, guys. Thank you. Have a good All right. night. All right. Rebecca Nellis from Cancer and Careers. And Joanna. And Joanna Morales, Morales. from uh, Cancer Legal Resource Center. Don't what? they get some applause, Matthew? Yeah, what's all the, I don't know what why happened? They, we're not yeah. getting applause here. The volumes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Are we? Gonna, we're we're running out of time I think here. We lost we're, our, we're way over time. Did I, we lose all our? I we think should, we lost our sound. Okay. Excellent. We should just have a, um, Adele wrap us uh, or, or spoken word us out of here. Are we spoken wording it? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to uh, fix the sound? All right. Let's. Did, let's, you, let's, let's oh, did okay. you fix it? Or, yeah, I fixed the sound. But Adele, why don't you give us like a. Something real quick as Give a spoken a... word artist. To can the... I can I make a quick little and then do my spoken word like one yes. little dot? Okay. Yeah. And, so and, um yeah, I just a couple resources that weren't mentioned and I know that uh, Cancer and Career does collaborate a little bit with um, for New Yorkers, being that we're in New York, um, New York Legal Assistance Group, which we've done um, parallels with in the past, and the City Bar Justice Center can help people if they have legal issues or wanna. Uh, talk to somebody and find out more. And then Care Magazine is a great resource as well. So that was just a little sidebar. Cool. All right. <laughs> so now focus into the mic. Let us all become ethereal. And I want to hear some magic. Okay. So this is a piece that I wrote um, after my First Descent experience. And those of you who frequent the show know about First Descent and its wonders. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. We got off the plane. Not sure what to expect. Would it be a first descent or a first eject? The road was windy, the future unknown. We were truly out of our comfort zone. All survivors far and near, cancer crushers crushing fear. With the river in front of us, we were on our way, ready for a brand new day. Sway your hips from side to side, kayak straight, enjoy the ride. Rock the rapids, ride the waves, boof the rock, surf and save. The swift and the quick guide that stick and paddle on your way. This river battle runs deep and shallow, so get down low and learn how to roll. Wipe that splash from your face. What exit when you need to? All you do is lean in through. There is no such disgrace. Pick up that boat and return to float with a smile on your face. Cancer led us to this place. 7W greased the wheel. I'm not sure why I ended up here, but I'm loving how it feels. When these days come to an end, I'll look to see your faces again, all locked in an eddy flower, floating on water and flying on power. Row, row, row your boat. That's all you have to do to stay afloat. Sway your hips from side to side. We rock the river with pride. Adele Ramos, everyone. What was your first sense nickname? Slam. I like it. Nice. And on that note, folks, it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You 
are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that is tonight's show, our 180th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right, we'd like to thank our guests, the lovely Adele Ramos in our Survivor thank Spotlight. You. Thank you for having me. Rebecca Nellis from Cancer and Careers, Joanna Morales from the Cancer Legal Resource Center, Mr. James Manning, our broadcast production assistant, too. And our crew here from the crew. Uh, the crew from Hillside Media. That's right. You keep us up and running on Ustream. Join us next week when we'll do our wrap-up of the OMG Summit. We'll have Meg Harrison. She's from Patient Services uh, it's at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the New York City chapter. Karen DeMiro, also uh, from Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the Long Island chapter. She's the Senior Divisional uh, Patient Service Manager. And in the spotlight, Anne Kramer, Young Adult Survivor Breast Cancer. All right, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and our whole team here at the I'm Too Young Brothers Cancer Foundation, have a great week. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Woo-hoo.